If you have a Bible, you can open it to Philippians chapter 1. I guess that's pretty obvious uh, by now. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to hang out there in a couple of verses tonight. We've uh, certainly finished a lot of different letters um, and started some new letters in our Bible reading plan. If you're kind of new to our midweek time, which I, I don't know that anybody is, but one of the things that we do during this time is we take some passage from our Bible reading plan for that week, and we just kind of dive a little deeper into it. Um, you really never know what that is until I tell you, uh, but hopefully you've spent some time in Philippians over the last couple of weeks, and so this uh, particular discussion will be relevant to some things that the Lord has been showing you in your own life. So uh, that's kind of what we do in here. We have finished reading uh, the book of Ephesians. We finished reading uh, the book of Philippians. We finished reading the book of Philemon, uh, or Philemon, depending on how you like to say that. Um, and as of today, we've began our reading, or at least I have, in the book of Hebrews. If you're on the same schedule and rotation that I am, I read Hebrews chapter 1 uh, today. And so that's where I'm at. You may be ahead, you may be behind, you may be doing something completely different, and that's okay. Uh, but that's kind of where we're trekking right now. But even though we've moved into uh, the book of Hebrews, I wanted us, before we get into a few weeks in that book, I wanted us to spend a little bit of time, at least once, in the letter to the Philippians. It's actually one of my favorite letters of the New Testament. It's extremely um, humbling to know the type of joy that the Apostle Paul had, even in the midst of his sufferings, imprisonment, and struggles that he was dealing with as a follower of Christ. And so I'm always challenged by the letter to the Philippians to see my life situation a whole lot different than what I typically uh, will look at it as. And so I love uh, the letter to Philippians, and I wanted us to spend at least a little bit of time uh, in there tonight. I thought tonight the idea was kind of choosing a side. It's kind of where the theme of the, the verses go tonight. And I thought to myself I would put different pictures up of like competing organizations and then make you run to like one side of the room or the other. But I thought that might not go over really well. So instead, uh, I was reading a couple of different things. I like to listen to, um, I like to, listen to a little news at, um, podcast. It's called The Pour Over. You may not do anything with The Pour Over. That's okay. They don't cover every news headline, but they cover uh, just kind of the, the basic things that they think are the headlines for that week. It's about seven minutes every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday. So usually once a week, toward the end of the week, I'll listen to all of them in about 21 minutes. So that's kind of the scope of my news. Uh, feed for the week, which may be a little bit less than you spend um, in the news. But anyway, as I've been listening to some of their uh, headlines, what they call bruise of the day, which, you know, pour over, makes sense, right? They've been highlighting a couple things that I have just thought were kind of fascinating. I've been hearing and reading a lot about, th through the pour over mainly, uh, which by the way, the pour over is a, a Christian news site that tries to put biblical principles alongside scripture, alongside of what's happening in our culture. So that's why I like to listen to the pour over. Anyway, I'm not going to, they didn't pay me to put a plug in for the pour over. Maybe they should have, but they didn't. But anyway, through that, I've been hearing a lot about uh, some major companies experiencing a loss of revenue due to their position on certain current events or trends 
or politics. Now, these probably won't surprise you, but I found some of them to be um, a little interesting over the last few weeks. One of those is Anheuser-Busch. You've probably seen uh, some of these statistics, but they've been able to boast about being the leader in revenue among their competitors for a very long time. However, recently, in 2023, they have dropped their value by 16% because of their support of a transgender TikTok influencer. You've probably seen some of that stuff. Their stock plummeting because of some of the associations that they have in their company. I've been hearing a lot about other companies like Target and Pfizer and uh, AT&T, all of them have also lost an average of 16% in revenue, wiping out, here was the number, uh, uh, wiping out $80 billion in market value due to their support of particular politics. Another one that I've been hearing a lot about is Disney. According to worldofreal.com, they claim that Disney has lost 900 million on its last eight studio releases, mostly because of the agendas that they seem to be pushing in some of their latest uh, movies. One of the most interesting controversies, though, that I've heard about this week has been CMT's removal of a music video by famous Jason... Aldean, thank you. I'm be honest, I'm not a country music fan, and I wasn't even really sure how to pronounce his name. Nonetheless, the song, I, I did listen to it because I was interested. Uh, the song that they have removed, you know, in connection with its video is Try That in a Small Town. Many of you, maybe you listen to country music, so that's normal, or maybe you saw the headline, and so you were interested like I was. But anyway, I did a little more research into it. CMT states the reason is because of the backlash that they've received due to the sight of the video and what they call uh, pro-lynching language or racist um, uh, uh, looks and overtones from the song and the video. Now, this, of course, in other articles has led to rumors that, uh, you know, famous people like Blake Shelton have backed out of certain things with CMT. Uh, Blake Shelton in particular, the, the claim is that he backed out of a $30 million project because of his support of Jason and not support of CMT. I think that's just a rumor. I'm not like a investigators. I don't really know what's happening. But anyway, I'm not bringing all this up because I want us to talk about the different views we have on the controversies that are happening in the world. All right. I know you've got plenty of political views. I know you've got plenty of your own opinions. I know this room is filled with various different thoughts about what should or should not be happening uh, in our world. But I'm not trying to debate over politics or where you stand on any of these issues. I only bring this up because of what we will be faced with in our lives, that each of us will be faced with opportunities in which we will have to choose a side. Rather than those particular articles, I could have just put a Coca-Cola bottle on one end and a Pepsi bottle on the other, right? Like at some point in our lives, we are forced to choose a side. And as I was reading this scripture in Philippians, I, th I thought about the ways in which we make a stand or the ways in which we choose a side. And I, I wrote a couple questions down. Will we choose to live a certain way or support a certain stance because the world around us chooses to do so? Will that be the basis on why we follow or support or stand the way that we do? Will we do so because it feels like the right thing to do? 
Is that the other way in which we will decide what side we will find ourselves on? Or here's the other, the third question I wrote down. Will we choose to live a certain way or support a certain stance because we long to honor God with our lives, right? Will it be because everyone else is doing it? Will it be because deep down within us somewhere this feels like the best option? Or will it be because we understand based on scripture how we are as followers of Christ to honor him best with our lives? Well, this, in my opinion, is part of the discussion that Paul's having to the church at Philippi in chapter 1, verses 20 through 30. As a matter of fact, he, he makes it clear how he will choose to live his life in verse number 20. I want you to look at it with me before we jump into the entirety of the text. I want to read Philippians 1.20. Here's what Paul wrote. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now I want to highlight Paul's goal in life, based on verse 20, is now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Now the word for will be honored means to make great or exalt or bring glory. The New King James Version uses the word magnified. Paul's mission seems to be similar to a former uh, campaign slogan that we heard before. You remember it? Make America great again. You remember the, the hats, the t-shirts, the signs? You remember all these slogans? It would seem as though what Paul is saying is not necessarily make America great again, especially since there was no America in their minds at the time, but rather make Jesus great again. He wanted with his life to enlarge the worth of Jesus in the minds of all people. His life was lived so that everything would point to the greatness of Jesus. I love this phrase. I don't know where I read it from, but Paul wanted his life to be a telescope that would magnify the closeness of God and a microscope that would magnify the greatness of God. That was his desire with his life. Whether it was to take someone that seemed far away and help you see how near and dear and close he is, or whether it was to take something that seemed so simple, so easy, so small, but to magnify the greatness of who God really is. Either way, his goal in life or death was to show people Jesus. He wanted to be able to say to anyone, friend or enemy, think about that for a moment in Paul's testimony, friend or enemy. He wanted to be able to say to them that they could know what Jesus is like just by being around Paul. John Phillips wrote this, he said, talking about Paul, he wanted to bring Jesus so close to others to make him so large that they could not help but see him. They could not be around Paul and not see Jesus. His desire was to not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, bring honor to Christ. Now, Paul makes this evident even more so when he wrote the words, it is my eager expectation and hope. That's there in verse 20. As is, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It is my eager expectation and hope. Now this phrase, eager expectation, literally refers to stretching your neck. 
Now think about that for a moment. The word for a hope is another word for expectation. So the words together, literally, eager expectation and hope could be translated like this. Eagerly expecting an expectation. Seems a little redundant, right? There's a reason for that. He is highlighting how much he longs to make the name of Jesus famous. Here's what I think about with this whole idea of stretching your neck. I think about waiting in line for an amusement park ride when my kids just could not wait to get there, right? The anticipation was about to blow their minds. And so they're looking. They cannot wait. They're sticking their neck around the crowd to see how much longer till we get there. I think about waiting in traffic. What is going on? up there? Why are we all piled up? Who's going too slow in the front that's making everybody mess up? And you're swerving to the right. Hey, Kayla, can you see on that side? You're swerving to the left. I'm trying to look. I don't know what's happening there, right? Anticipation. I need to know how much longer, what's happening. I think about a wreck in the road. When you pass by, you stretch out your neck, even as you're passing, almost to the detriment of another wreck, right? So that you can see exactly what's taking place. That's the kind of expectation, anticipation, that Paul's referring to. But here's the catch for Paul. He's not talking about an amusement park ride. He's not talking about waiting in traffic. He's not talking about a wreck where he wants to be nosy and see what's happening. He is talking about the kind of eager expectation and hope when it comes to bringing honor to Jesus through sharing him with the world. That's the eager expectation that he has. That's the hope that he has. His anticipation is not for entertainment or freedom from traffic, it's from the opportunity awaiting him to honor Jesus with his life. What a picture of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. One who brings honor, one who magnifies Jesus. Now what I love about the rest of these verses is this is just his intro into what the magnification of Jesus looks like. He explains to us, as followers of Christ, what it looks like to honor Jesus with our lives. And that's what I want to show you really quickly tonight. Number one, here's what Paul tells us. We can bring honor to Jesus through our relationship with God. That's pretty basic, right? We can bring honor to Jesus through our relationship with God. Move on to verse 21. Paul says, Philippians 1, 21, for to me, he's talking about honoring Christ, by the way, magnifying him in everything that he does, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. As a matter of fact, there's only one other verse that might be more famous in Philippians, and that's Philippians 4, 13. No, Tim Tebow did not write that. It came from the apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it may be more popular than this one. But this is probably second most popular. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now what in the world is Paul trying to communicate to us about how we honor Jesus through our relationship with God? Well, let me show you this. Our existence belongs to Jesus. Our existence belongs to Jesus. Everyone lives for something. Everyone lives for someone. We could all finish this sentence. For to me, to live is, you fill in the blank, right? You may not have Christ in there, but you've got something that you live for. You've got someone that you live for. This could be pleasure, fame, wealth, popularity, a relationship, work, whatever we place our particular identity in. That is what we live for. Even the Apostle Paul tells of a time when he lived for things other than Jesus. When he shares his testimony in Acts chapter 22, he's clear. There was a day when he was not living for Christ. To live didn't mean Jesus, but now it does. 
Every person on the planet is living for something or someone in order to find meaning and happiness for their lives. We think if we just have whatever that is, right, or whoever that is, if we could just have that, then we will have everything we ever wanted and our lives will be fulfilled. But we know from much wiser and older people that this isn't the case. In fact, one of the early church fathers, Augustine, here's what he said. He confessed this, O God, thou hast made me for thyself and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. Did you hear that? You have made us for yourself. And we could try to find ourselves somewhere else. We could try to find our fulfillment somewhere else. But we will never experience rest for our souls until our souls find rest in Jesus. How much truth is there to that, right? Benjamin Disrael, this is who my sermon is named after. He's also called Lord Beaconsfield. You've probably never heard of Lord Beaconsfield. I didn't either. He was one of Britain's greatest empire-building statesmen. But what he said that's most quoted for his life is very interesting. I'm going to share it with you. It's a very simple statement. Here's what he said. Youth is a blunder. Manhood, a struggle. Old age, a regret. Do you hear that? Let me say it to you again. Youth is a blunder. Well, that stinks, right? Manhood, a struggle. Well, I'm not looking forward to that. Old age, a regret. Ouch! Not exactly the best picture of life. But can I tell you something? We could take some advice from Lord Beaconsfield and realize that this doesn't have to be our story. We can live without regret by focusing on the most important thing we can. You say, Danny, what's that? Our relationship with God. Our existence belongs to Jesus. Paul's not the only one who understands the importance of to me to live is Christ. Listen to the angels around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Listen to it. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. It's not fresh information. Our existence belongs to Jesus. I love the way the New Living Translation translates this same verse. Instead of to live is Christ, here's what it's translated as. Living means living for Christ. It's as if the definition of living is living for Christ. In other words, if you're doing anything else, then you're not actually living. I'm reminded of this quote, there's nothing to dying it's the living that matters. Let me ask you something, friends. What are you living for? Because our very existence belongs to Jesus. But let me show you this. Not only that, our exit belongs to Jesus. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. But he doesn't end there. He also says, and to die is gain. Why does he say it? Because whether we're living or we're leaving, it all belongs to Jesus. Once again, here's how the New Living Translation translates this part of the verse. It translates the first part as living means living for Christ. The second part as dying is even better. Paul could say to die is gain. You want to know why? Because he could also say to live is Christ. We cannot die the death of the righteous unless we live the life of the righteous. We know this, that death is really not the end. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we'll read that in a couple of weeks. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Do you hear that? Death is not the end. There's more once we're gone. Death simply ushers us into the next phase of eternity. The writer of Hebrews says that that starts with what he calls judgment. He said, hey, what's he referring to? Well, the Bible tells us about two different judgments, only two. The first one is the judgment for those who never gave their lives to Jesus. These are the people who can't speak with Paul to say to live is Christ. They go to a judgment, as Scripture tells us, called the great white throne judgment. Now, this will not be what Paul considers to be gain. This will be the moment where God dismisses them into eternal separation in a place called hell. He will tell them, as we learn in Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a second judgment that the Bible speaks about. This is for all those who do give their lives to Jesus. They will have the works of their lives judged. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you'll discover exactly what this judgment will look like. Every work that we have will be tried by fire, and those that were glorifying to God with eternal value will be turned to gold or silver, or precious stones, which, by the way, we will then lay down at the feet of Jesus as offerings to him. Those that were not glorifying to God with eternal value will burn up like wood, or hay, or stubble. Now, all believers are saved, and they will be in heaven, but those works that were of no value, that burn up, will leave the believer suffering great loss. That's what the Bible tells us. These are the two judgments. Death is not the end. Living is only good when it's living for Christ. And death is only good when it's following the life that was lived for Christ. You see that? Paul could say to live is Christ, therefore he could say to die is gain. If you can't say to live is Christ, if your existence doesn't belong to Jesus, then friends, I hate to tell you this, your exit does not belong to Jesus either you will experience something much worse. I love some of the different ways that Paul wrote this in other places. This is in Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Doesn't matter if he lives or dies, what's he going to do? testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Romans chapter 14, he says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Praise God. Galatians 2:20, my favorite verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can bring honor to Jesus through our relationship with God. Why? Because our existence belongs to Jesus. Why? Because our exit belongs to Jesus. Check this out. If you didn't get the picture yet, our everything belongs to Jesus. <laughs> everything. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 22 and 23. I love how he continues. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. It's almost like he doesn't know where he's at, right? I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Our everything belongs to Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here. Paul really didn't know if living or dying would be better. Living 
meant that he would be able to continue to do awesome things for God. But dying meant that he would be in the presence of God. It's fascinating how he legitimately expresses this burden. The phrase, I cannot tell, I know you're like, well, it just means he doesn't know. I agree. But in the Greek, what's interesting is it's not just that Paul doesn't know. What he's actually saying is, it hasn't been revealed to me. He's not saying, oh, I tell you, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what I'd like to do. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying God has not told me yet if I should continue to live for his glory or if I should die for his glory. You say, Danny, why is that significant? Because it didn't matter to Paul which one would happen, which one was better. He was saying that he didn't know which one because God hadn't revealed it or made it known to him. Paul wanted to do everything in his life based on what God desired. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? It wasn't his choice whether he lived or died. He had already surrendered his life to Jesus. Danny, what do you mean? Everything belongs to Jesus. Your life, your death, everything in between. It shouldn't be, what do I want to do? What do I desire? How can I be more about me? No, it should be, God, what do you want today? How do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to reach? What do you want me to do? Everything belongs to Jesus. That's how we bring honor to his name. It's through our relationship with God. I love what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He said, whether we are at home or away, no matter where we are, we make it our aim to please him. Have we come to a place where everything that we have belongs to God to the point that we would ask him whether we should live or die depending on which one would bring him more glory? I know that sounds a little crazy, but isn't it incredible? The amount of trust, the amount of faith, the amount of love Paul has toward God. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's not talking about suicidal thoughts, by the way. He wasn't looking for a way for his life to end because he hated his life. He just knew of how awesome heaven would be and was ready to meet God. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul talks about someone who gives a testimony who was caught up into heaven, and he shares about what it will be. And Paul shares it because he is just overcome by how awesome it will be to be in the Lord's presence. As a matter of fact, he uses the word for desire that's translated over 30 other times in the New Testament as the word lust. You say, Danny, that's kind of interesting. I agree. Where we might lust for earthly, fleshly things, Paul's lusting for heaven. Like, how unreal is that? This should be no surprise. Once we understand how awesome it will be to be in the presence of God for all eternity, we will want the same thing. Matter of fact, listen to how John puts it in Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 7. Listen to these words. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen to what John says in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, Danny, why would Paul want to be in the presence of the Lord? Did you not hear it? 
How incredible it would be to be in the presence of the Lord. Matter of fact, I don't remember who I was talking to. I think it was, I think it was Mr. Jerry one day, but we were talking about the prayer series that we've been in on Sundays, and he had mentioned after one of the sermons how many people we try to pray out of heaven who are sick because we don't want them to leave and be with the Lord, but how many things that need to happen in our own lives we never pray for? How many people are on their way to hell, but we don't pray that the Lord would snatch them out of there, but how many people are on their way to heaven that we're praying that they don't go? What a fascinating thought, right? Are you bringing honor to Jesus through your relationship with God? Are you as close with God as Paul was? He would seek God for whether he should live or die, whether he should continue to serve him in this life or be with him in glory. We bring honor to Jesus through our relationship with God. Let me show you the second one. We'll pick up the pace, I promise. We bring honor to Jesus, not just through our relationship with God, but also through our responsibility to the gospel our responsibility to the gospel. Look at verse 24. Paul goes on. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now he's figuring it out, right? He's like, well, man, I don't know which one. I'd rather be in heaven because Jesus is better, but I really know. I've got to stay here. Why? Because it's more necessary on your account. Listen to what Paul mentions. He mentions the responsibility we have through our witness. So what he's talking about. Ultimate selflessness is seen in Paul's response. Though he lusted, by the way, after heaven, he knew God was not done with him here. Do you hear that? Disciples know that if God hasn't taken them to heaven, then there's more work to be done here. Friend, if you're still here, it's because there's more work to be done. If you're still breathing, what does God want from your life. As a matter of fact, he would later write in Philippians chapter 2 of this exact selfless kind of life. Here's what he'd say. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Here it is. You ready? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul knew. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this. He knew he had more work to do. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He knew that he would be here to live, to help them progress, right, in their faith, in the joy of their faith. The word progress carries the idea of advancing against obstacles because of continual resistance. It literally means to change for the better. Think about what Paul's talking about. He knew that he would stay and continue to fight on God's side, right? He knew he would continue to help people progress, to continue to get better, to change for the better. What about us? What side are we on? Is that what we're trying to do? We want people to progress for the better, change, to be more like Jesus. Will you let God use you for his purposes, for the progress of others? We have a responsibility to be witnesses of the good news about Jesus. Paul also mentions this, though. Paul mentions the responsibility we have through our works. Not just our witness, but our works. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, here's what he goes on to say in verses 26 and 27. So that in me, right? I know I'm here to continue to live for Jesus so that your faith can be stronger. That, that's why I'm here. I'm a witness to Jesus. So that in me, 
You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now look at this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's Paul saying? Well, he's talking about the responsibility we have through our works. Through his life, people would love Jesus more. Listen to this in Philippians 2, 15 and 16. Here's what Paul wrote. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I love this phrase, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's Paul talking about? Well, obviously our lives should be different than this world. Our standards are set by a higher place. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, the phrase manner of life comes from a word that literally means city. It's what the root means in manner of life. It carries the idea of being a good citizen, one whose conduct brings honor to the city in which they belong. Now think about that for a moment. We're certainly citizens of this earth, but we're also citizens of a place that is much greater. You say, what do you mean? We're citizens of heaven. How are we representing our home here on this earth? The phrase worthy of the gospel of Christ refers to living according to his word, according to the Bible. Our actions should reflect where we're from. Our actions should reflect Jesus. Now here's the trick. Here's the meaning behind why Paul's using these words. The Philippians, as with all Roman provinces, were highly devoted to the pride of the their city. Highly devoted. We're Philippians. We're from Philippi. They loved their city. This type of pride is still seen by people from certain places today. I'll give you the best example I can think of. Take, for instance, America. I would bet everyone in this room is proud to be an American. Would you not agree? Rightly so. You are proud to be and American. So many have defended this nation with their lives. We have pride in our nation. We have songs about our nation. We fly flags proudly, wear our colors with honor. Now listen to this. Focus in. Don't, I'm not taking anything away from America. I'm also proud to be an American. But if we're that devoted to an earthly place, how much more should we be devoted to a heavenly place? Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying your citizenship, you are an ambassador, a representative of a place far away from here. You get to bring the kingdom of heaven down right now. How? As you live every day in honor of Jesus through your responsibility to the gospel in the way that you witness, in the way that you Work. Let me show you this last one. He also mentions the responsibility we have through our war. He says, verse 27, look back at it, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, key in on that word, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's he talking about? He's talking about a fight. He's talking about the war that we have in this culture. The phrase striving side by side for the faith displays a picture of the war that we're in together against the devil. Disciples fight against the standards of this world for the sake of the message of Jesus. Now I want to pause here for a moment because I feel like we're in a room where we all agree on biblical standards and it's really easy for us to be like, yeah, them liberals, we need to send them back to where they're from, right? Or I tell you, we need a president that'll 
put more guns in our pockets. Or, I don't, I'm really bad at this, by the way. I don't really know what to add, right? Or those gay people, I can't believe that. Ugh. Right? We're in a room where we understand what the Bible teaches. But we're also in a room where we need to realize, and it's not a cop-out, so don't come at me with some kind of, Danny's all about love, and don't, don't come at me like that, okay? Jesus loves people. <laughs> he loved me in the greatest depths of my sin. Even when I was his enemy, he died for me. He didn't die for me because I did anything right. He didn't die for me because I cleaned myself up. He didn't die for me because I didn't have sin in my life. That's not why he died for me. He died so that I could have his life because he knew that I would never be able to get out of the dirtiness of my sin. We war against the devil. We war against sin. But listen to me, friends. We war for the sake of the message of Jesus. We don't war so that we can be right and somebody else can be wrong. We don't war so we can put somebody else in their place. We don't war so that we can win some kind of political agenda. We don't war because we're red and Republican, and that's what matters most. That's not why we war. We war because we want people who were just like us, dead in their sins, by the way, corpses. We want them to meet Jesus and be changed forever. You know what happens when we just walk around warring because we want to be right and fighting because we just want to prove people? You know what happens when that's our stance? No one meets Jesus. You know what happens when we love people through their wretchedness and their sinfulness? You know what happens when we love people like Jesus loved me? The world changes. That's the war, the striving. Look at it. Striving side by side so that Biden won't be president anymore. No. Striving side by side because Jason Aldean's video needs to be back on TV. No. We strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Listen to what Paul would write later in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to this. This is what he wrote. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's his goal. Hey friend, what if that was our goal? What if our war, our fight, what if every word, every action, everything we think or do, what if it's so that people can meet Jesus? Think that would change a few things? Think that would make the world a little different? Probably so. That's the responsibility that we have to the gospel. Danny, how are we going to bring honor to Jesus? Well, it's through our responsibility to the gospel. Certainly our relationship with God. Let me show you this last one. We can bring honor to Jesus through our reaction to grief. This one's a little unique. You're like, Danny, this is weird. I agree. Watch this. Verse 28, Philippians chapter 1. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This is one of the reactions to grief that we should have. Then you say, what are you talking about? React with courage. We're in a war. We just talked about it. We're in a culture that likes what they feel, wants to be what they want, and do what makes them happy. We're all in that situation, friends. It's called fallen human nature. We're there. So what do we do as we fight against an enemy that is way stronger than us? We react with courage. We're not frightened in anything by our opponents. In fact, it's a clear sign to them of their destruction and your salvation. It's a clear sign. You're on the right track. 
You're headed in the right direction. Do what you can to strive side by side in the faith. Love people well. But know that you never have to be afraid. You can react to grief with courage. Don't fear those who persecute you. Your victory in it will be a sign of their wrong. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? Unless you have the gospel memorized, you don't. Let me read it to you. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Trust God, right? React with courage. Watch this, react with cheer. Doesn't that sound weird? Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you. Now think about that for a moment. What's been granted to me? To get a million dollars? No. Here's what's been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Let that settle in for a moment. You say, Danny, what's he talking about? You've been granted to suffer for the sake of Christ. It has been granted literally means to forgive. It means to be freely given, shown favor or shown kindness. You say, wait a second, Danny. This seems to be a typo when it comes to how we feel when we experience suffering. I don't feel forgiveness. I don't feel like it's been freely given. I don't feel like I've been shown favor or shown kindness. That's not what I feel. I don't feel like it's been granted to me. But for the believer, it's an honor, a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. We react with cheer. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. You know what that means? Happy, cheerful are those. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, cheerful are you when others revile you or persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be cheerful, be glad, be cheerful for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our reaction to grief can bring honor to Jesus. React with courage, react with cheer. Let me show you this one. React with confidence. You're not alone, friend. Look at what he says in verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's speaking all of this from experience. Matter of fact, he's probably chained to a Roman soldier in a prison cell or house arrest at this point in time. Yet he's saying, have confidence. Wait a second, Paul, you're in prison because of Jesus. You're chained to a Roman soldier. You're telling me that I should react with courage? I don't want to end up where you are. You're telling me I should react with cheer? I don't want to be in prison. You're telling me I should react with confidence? Where's the confidence in that. I bet he would think back to his time with the Philippians. Matter of fact, if you flip back there, we don't have time, but you would discover that story in Acts chapter 16. You may not remember this, but because Paul and Silas were talking about Jesus in Philippi, they were eventually locked up in prison. They were chained. They could not go anywhere. They were suffering for the sake of Jesus. And at about midnight, when you thought they would be terrified for their lives, when you thought they had given up, when you thought they should be saying, oh God, why would you do this to us? No, no, no. You remember what they were doing? They were singing. They were singing praises to God. I love, I heard an old preacher one time, he took like some chains and he started making a sound and then like some other people probably did some really cool things too. And it was like a jingle that was going on as they were singing praises. His, his imagination was they were taking them old chains and they were beating up against those bars and they were making a sound that they could sing praises to God through. All in the midst of their suffering. You remember what happened after that? Chains came off, right? 
God opens the prison doors. Everybody could go free. The jailer comes in, and he's about to take his own life because he let everybody get out. But they're not gone. Paul says, wait, bro. Don't kill yourself. We're here. And the guy said, man, I don't even know how to describe this. And Paul goes, I know how to describe it. His name is Jesus. Do you want to know him? This is Danny paraphrase, by the way. This is chosen, Danny chosen version of Philippians chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 16. He said, hey man, don't, don't do anything. This is all open. This is all happening. We're all here. This happened because of Jesus. Do you want to know him? And the jailer and his entire family got saved. You say, Danny, how could we react with courage, with cheer, with confidence? Because when that is our reaction to grief, when we trust God, even in the most dire moments, when we lean into his promises, the world will be changed. He's up to something, friends. He's working something. He's doing something in your life. He's trying to make a way. Are you confident in what he's doing? Can you imagine the jailer being in the church at Philippi as they're reading this letter. you imagine that scene for a moment? Hey guys, I got a letter from Paul. Let's read it. Paul's telling them all these things. Can you imagine that guy and his family in that church? He could quickly testify to how Paul's suffering meant his salvation. Have confidence that the Lord is using your suffering for his good. We bring honor to Jesus through the way we react to grief. Can I just, can I just leave you with this thought? Our goal should be to bring the name of Jesus honor in all that we do. Just let this settle for a moment. According to the example of Paul, what he challenges us with in Philippians chapter one, how are you bringing honor to his name?